Today I'd like for us, as we take our Bibles or electronic devices in hand, whatever you have, I'd like for us to think together from Scripture on the subject, it's time for inventory. Inventory. When you stop and think about that, inventory is a time that provides a record of what's on hand and what's needed. And I think that's why often at the first time of the year, not only are inventories taken in various businesses, but in life, we especially think back and think ahead and an inventory is taken. And for Christians, an inventory is a time of thanking God for the blessings of the past and then making a renewed commitment to God for the days ahead. That's our target today, folks. And my prayer is that God would speak to our hearts. I am aware, and please don't misunderstand me here, I want us to be blessed of the Lord today. But in a sense, I also want you to be aware we may be a little uncomfortable as we think of what Scripture says in taking inventory because, folks, I don't want to be the same at the end of this year as I was last year. I want to grow. And my prayer is that all of us would grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord. Well, as you take inventory, we begin by thinking about all that we have. Isn't it good to know the love of our Lord? Amazing, amazing love. <laughs> I, we could quote together John 3.16. When you think of that verse that says, for God so loved the world. That word so, in the Greek, it's words that mean God abundantly, beyond measure, loved us. Praise God for his love. Folks, if you know the love of Christ, if you are in the Savior, you are blessed. And as you take inventory, you've got a lot in your storehouse. Praise God. For light, abundant light. We read there in John 10, 10, I am come that you may have life, that you may have it more abundantly. To realize when you come to Christ, you pass from death to life. Oh, friends, do you know the Savior today? If so, he's given you life. How good to know that we belong to him. An abundant goodness. Oh, my, how much I thank you for the songs that we've had this morning. Thank you. Uh, were you looking at my notes ahead of time? Because, folks... To think together will fly away and the goodness of the Lord. And we have Jesus. Oh, inventory. Thank God for what we have. Abundant goodness. We're told in Scripture that the Lord is merciful and gracious. Long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth. Abundant mercy. Oh, my, how I thank God for his mercy. <laughs> Mercy is getting what I don't deserve. The mercy of the Lord and his mercy is great. When we come and stand before a judge in a court of law, we don't plead for justice, we plead for mercy. 
because if we're guilty particularly, that's what we need. And folks, God in his mercy stepped in, stepped down, gave us Oh, beyond all we could ever imagine. And then think of that abundant grace. Scripture tells us, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. Isn't it good to know his grace has been extended to us? All of God's riches at Christ's expense. Grace. Well, and then we are told in Scripture we have abundant faith. Faith in the Lord, that which is not of ourselves, but it's the gift of God. And he gives us his power. I am so grateful for that. Abundant power. Folks in our storehouse as we take inventory to thank God, we don't go through this life alone. We go forth in the power of a living God. You know, God never called us to live a Christian life in our own strength because we can't do it. But he called us to surrender to him and allow him to live in and through us. Praise God for his power. And how about that next one? His peace. Praise God. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Folks, we're rich indeed, aren't we? An abundant joy. That's what it produces. And joy is not just the same as happiness. Happiness basically depends on the happenings. Joy depends on a relationship that we have with the Savior. An abundant hope. One of these days, we will fly away. And it may be this year. In 1958, I was pastoring the church in Northern California and brought a message entitled, Jesus May Come in 1958. It was true. Didn't happen. But if it was true then, which it is according to the Word of God, how much more true for 2017? This may be the year. What a day that will be. But with all of this, as we look at our storehouse and take inventory of what we have, folks, the scripture calls us also to look at what's needed. We read in scripture, the days of our lives are 70 years, and if by reason of strength they're 80 years, yet their boast is only labor and sorrow. For it is soon cut off and we fly away. We sang that, didn't we? We fly away. But then what does it say? So teach us to number our days. In the Hebrew, this is a word that means to give an account of. It's a bookkeeper's term, an accountant's term. So teach us to number our days. That is to evaluate, to give an account of our days. What have we done with the opportunities the Lord has given? And then scripture also calls us to search our hearts, to know, to try and see if there is any wicked way. And this means simply to examine closely, to look carefully. Inventory is not something that we should avoid. It's something of value in fact. How fitting that we today will be observing the Lord's table because the communion service in part is the same as inventory. We are thanking God for what we have in Jesus Christ and he says, examine yourself. 
And so as this scripture says, to examine, let's do that together. I've made a bit of a collection of church signs. And here's one. Uh, perhaps you know where that church is. But this church sign tells you something. It's a Bible church committed to the word of God. And the sign was taken at the time of the missions conference. But that also says here is a church that has a concern to get the gospel out. That sign tells us something. Well, but so do other signs tell us something. For example, our church is like fudge, sweet with a few nuts. Now, I'm not sure what they're trying to communicate. I wouldn't suggest you put this out here. But um, this tells us a little bit about the church. Or how about this one? I wouldn't suggest putting that one out here either. Uh, but folks, what are they trying to communicate? And I don't know. I was back in Colorado at Grand Junction, Colorado to speak at a conference there in Calvary Bible Church. And just down the street was this church with this sign, Blessing of the Pets, bring your dog or cat or whatever and your lawn chair. That startled me. And I asked the pastor about it, and he says, well, I don't know, they do it every year. Well, it may be all right, but folks, isn't there more that should be involved when we go to church and when we worship the Lord than the blessing of pets? And don't misunderstand me. I like animals. I do like pets. But this is not our commitment. And then I don't know what to say about this. What were they trying to communicate? I don't know. But folks, let me tell you, it's not true. Signs do tell us. And the state of the church in the United States today is not something to be necessarily excited about. George Barna in a report in 2015 has said that of church members in the United States, 21% say they never attend church. 34% say they never read the Bible. 46% say they never give to the church or to missions. 95% say they've never won another person to Christ. But then 100% say they expect to go to heaven. Interesting, the state of the church, and Charles Swindoll in speaking about this has said, the church in America has erupted into worship wars uh, replaced God, uh, drifted into entertaining assemblies, replaced God's nourishing word with junk food, fallen into a devastating spiritual famine. The church is asleep at the wheel. It's time to wake up. Now, that's quite a statement. Charles Swindoll doesn't often say things quite like that, that strongly. But folks, I think there's truth there. Inventory. What's needed? Very frankly, if we don't teach our children to follow Christ, the world's going to teach them not to. That's the kind of world we're in. And my challenge is today, let's look at what the Word of God says, and then let's respond to his truth. Do you have your Bibles in hand? Turn with me, if you will, to that text. 
Let's think together. This is now the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior spoken by your apostles. Know this first of all, that mockers will come in the last days, scoffing and following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlooked this fact, that the heavens existed long ago, the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. And that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But the same, by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are being reserved for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But beloved, do not forget this one thing that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat, Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, without spot and blameless. And consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you. You, therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, beware lest you also fall from your own steadfastness and being led away with the error of the wicked, but grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory, both now and forever. Amen. Father, I do pray just now in these few moments as we look to your word, may it speak to our hearts. May the Holy Spirit be our teacher. Help us to know and to do that which pleases you. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Again, thinking as far as this portion of scripture of our inventory, what do we have? Several things are said. God is eternal. We read there that one day with the Lord is as a thousand years. Oh, folks, 
We serve a God that is eternal. That just baffles my mind. It's beyond what I can understand, but I believe it. He is an eternal God. Not only that, he is a faithful God. He's not slow concerning his promise. Have you ever made promises that you didn't keep? I've done that. I remember years ago when we were pastoring, we had a little dog and the dog had broken through the screen door and Elvia said, Roy, please get this fixed if you would. And I promised, I said, yes, I will, honey. And after about a week, one of the elders of the church came by and he said, oh, Elvia, I could fix that for you. And he did. My promise wasn't really quite what it should have been, was it? Have you ever made promises you haven't kept? But God is not that way. Isn't that good to know? God's promises, he keeps. He keeps. And we can count on it. He is a faithful God. Not only that, he's a patient God. Tells us here that he is long-suffering toward us. Interesting, isn't it? Where the patience of the Lord is expressed in Scripture, it's expressed to we as believers who have a task to get the gospel out. And he's patient or long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish. Oh, that we would be what God would have us to be. And then we see in this portion of Scripture also, God is loving. Isn't that good to know? Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Oh, what a heart of our God. He is a loving God. His love is everlasting. Do you know his love today? Is he your savior? Oh my goodness, if you have come here to church today and you're not certain about eternity, make certain today. What better way to begin a new year than a commitment to him as Lord and Savior? God is loving. Not only that, we see here that God is powerful. The day of the Lord will come as a thief, and the heavens will melt away in great noise. The power of God, folks, I'm glad that God does not reveal his power in these ways often. We do see it on occasion, don't we? In tsunamis and tornadoes and all of these things, but oh, one day there'll be no holding back. God is powerful. We serve a powerful God but also to realize we serve a sovereign God. He's in control. I am glad that nothing ever catches him by surprise. Nothing that happened last year was a surprise where God said, oh my goodness, I'd never expected that. Not at all. It just doesn't happen. Our God is sovereign. He is in control and whatever takes place, scripture says he raises up those who are in leadership. He brings down those who are in leadership. All things are in his hands. Nothing happens that catches him by surprise, a sovereign God. Now that's part of our inventory. But then we see interestingly, three times in this portion of scripture, because of who God is, the word therefore. When I was a student at the Bible Institute years ago, Dr. J. Vernon McGee was our professor in one of the classes we had every day. And he said, students, Whenever you see the word therefore, always be sure that you look to see what it's there for. Now, you've heard that before, but I, I, I forgot and remembered that and never forgotten it. 
And here, because God is eternal, because he is holy, because he is just, because he is loving, because he is patient, because he is sovereign, therefore, three things. One, in verse 11, he says, be holy. In verse 14, be diligent. And in verse 17, beware. Look at these just briefly, if you will, with me. The challenge to us. First, God says, be holy. This means Christ-like, sanctified, set apart for the master's use. During the years that our children were at home, we used everyday dishes called false graft, I think it is. Does that sound right, ladies? Thank you. False graft, sort of just brown, normal dishes. But in the cupboard were these special dishes that were kept there for special use on special occasions for special people. Now, Elvia has some way that she determines this. <laughs> Who are the special people and what are the special occasions? But those were not put there just to look at. They were for special use. That's the word sanctified. God has called you and me as his own to be Christ-like and set apart for special use, for his glory, to bring honor to him. And two ways are spoken of here. One, in conduct. Do you notice what he said? Consider, therefore, what manner of persons you ought to be in holy conduct and godliness. Conduct has with our behavior, our lifestyle, our worldview is involved here. What do we do? Are we living in such a way that our life demonstrates the reality of the Savior? Read in 1 Corinthians 10, 31, whether therefore you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Our conduct. And then he talks about and in godliness and this word in the original language is a word that has to do with attitude or heart attitude. Godliness is not something necessarily that I do, it's what I am. As the Lord at work in my life produces Christ-likeness. Boys and girls, are there any of you here this morning that have a bicycle? Anybody that has a bicycle? Oh, there's some, oh, some of you are older, yes. Steve, you have a bicycle, okay. If you have a bicycle, and on that bicycle you have a back fender. Now, I know some bicycles don't have a back fender. But if you do, down at the bottom of that back fender, there's something round usually. You know what I'm talking about? Huh? There you go, a reflector. 
That's exactly what God desires that you and I be for his glory. He's the great light. He is the light of the world. But he gives me the privilege in this world, even here in 2017, to be a reflector of his likeness, a heart attitude. That's godliness. Godliness. Think quickly, if you will, with me. Therefore, be diligent. The scripture says, Beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him. And again, here are three things. In peace, without spot, and blameless. To be in peace. And it's the thought here of something being diligent, something we work hard at. We make it a priority. We're prompt to do, to be at peace. Philippians 4.8 says that we, as God's people, would allow his grace to work in us, not worrying about anything, but experiencing God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand, his peace that will guard our hearts and minds. God desires that his people be at peace. I would encourage us, folks, let peace rule and reign in your heart. A number of years ago, down in Seaside, Oregon, there was an artist convention, and a $2,500 prize was offered for the artist that could best paint a picture that would have the one-word caption, peace. There were a lot of wonderful pictures painted. Beautiful scenes, meadows running through the scene, deer standing out there. The picture that took first place and won the $2,500 prize was a picture of the Oregon coast in the middle of a ferocious storm. But out in this ocean, just a ways, you know, where there's those big rocks like Haystack Rock and all those others, there was this rock in the middle of the storm. The waves were crashing up against the rock, but up in the little crevice in the rock was a bird's nest. And you could see three heads of baby birds in that picture peeking out. The artist pictured this, peace. That was the caption. It's not the absence of the storm, but it's knowing in whom we trust in the midst of the storm, folks. That he is there. And we, like the baby birds, they had no care. Mama was there. That's all that mattered. That's peace. And he calls us also to be without spot. And this is that thought in the original language of moral purity. And folks, we're in a society today that has by and large forgotten anything about morality. And God calls we, you and I as believers, to moral purity. And we read, particularly here in 1 Thessalonians 4, 3, it, it is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that you, each one should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the pagans, that you should not take advantage of and defraud a brother or sister in this matter. Oh, friends, I would call us as God's people 
to be without spot. It's been said that among church men, one in seven is battling pornography. I don't know if that would be any one of us here today, but folks, may I urge us all, keep yourself pure for the glory of God without spot. And then blameless. This has to do with our reputation, that we would live in such a way People may not agree with us, but may they look at us and say, I don't know what it is, but their life is right. And then quickly, the last one, beware, be on guard, watch. Two things, lest you fall into temptation and lest you are led away with error. God has challenged us as his own to be concerned about this. And he tells us that we're to be strong in the Lord and the power of his might, to put on the whole armor of God so that we can extinguish or <laughs> resist the flaming darts of the evil one. Folks, Satan's darts are the same today as they were back in the Garden of Eden. The darts of the enemy are doubt, denial, deception. The darts, did God really say? Oh, you won't die. Oh, you'll be like God. And you know, we're in a world today where a lot of the attacks of the enemy are very much the same way. How do we stand against that? In the power of his might, not in ourselves, but in his might. We put on the whole armor of God. We be strong in the Lord and it says, stand, withstand, Having done all to stand, stand therefore. Do you get the impression we're to stand? That's God's call. And I would urge us in this new year, let's stand for the Lord, for his glory. And then comes this closing verse. But grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Grow. I don't want to be the same at the end of this year. I pray for all of us. We will grow this year for the glory of God. Grow in grace. Grow in his knowledge. Grow to be more like him. Charles Spurgeon has put it this way. The Christian life from its beginning to its end is totally dependent upon the grace of God. Wow, but it's true. He goes on to say, every grace is capable of growing and increasing. Faith may grow exceedingly, hope abound, love increase, and patience have its perfect work. And saints may grow more humble, holy, and self-denying, and this is all God's work. My part is to surrender. In fact, it's been said, the Christian battle is the only battle that you win by surrender. But it's true, to surrender to him. And he goes on to say, after Jesus, there is no sweeter word in all the Bible than grace. It's the wealth of God's goodness, the riches of his mercy, the soothing ointment of his forgiveness, the free and undeserved but lavishly offered gift of eternal life. I think Spurgeon hit the nail on the head. The grace of God. So I begin where we started. Is this your prayer? 
It's my desire. Lord, search me. Try me. Know my thoughts. See if there be any wicked way. Examine my heart. As we are in a moment of thoughtfulness, is this your prayer, Lord? Do examine my heart. Is this your prayer, Lord? Look at my thoughts, my attitude. May this be our prayer, Lord. See if there's any wicked way in me. And Lord, lead me. Lead me to live for your glory in 2017. Is that your desire? When I was younger, we used to sing a little chorus that went something like this. If you know it, join me. My desire to be like Jesus. My desire to be like him. His spirit fill me. His love overwhelm me. In deed and word to be like him. Is that your desire? Father, find us with hearts ready to be examined. And as we gather here at the communion table, Lord, we do thank you for what you've done. And we do look at our heart that we might be what you'd have us to be. I pray in Jesus' name.